Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16 for our commandment today. We've been moving through the Ten Commandments one at a time, taking time to pause and think about them, to look at them, to understand what it is that God would say to us through them and how we can live by them. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. If you just put your finger there and listen for a moment. Psalm 25, verse 10 tells us the following. All the paths of the Lord, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep His commandments and His testimonies. Psalm 25, 10. In modern in the modern era, which goes back a couple hundred years now, Immanuel Kant, more than any other philosopher, challenged the absolute truth of God, saying in essence that there is no absolute truth. Truth possesses no existence in and of itself. It's only what we subjectively conceive of in our own minds. In other words, maybe a more contemporary phrase that you may have heard: Truth is what you make it. Truth is what you believe it to be. Truth is relative to that which you think it is. Truth is not absolute. Constant philosophy caught on big time and is could be even uh, stated as the philosophy of America today. Truth is what you make it. Interesting. The Bible says all the paths of the Lord are truth. The Bible speaks of an absolute truth on every page. It refutes relativism, beginning with this great and fundamental truth, Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Truth. Absolute. The Bible doesn't start out with guesswork. It also doesn't try to defend or explain itself. It just says that which is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So while the, the arguments rage on about evolution, Genesis 1, verse 1, first page, first verse of the Bible tells us, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All other reality is birthed from that absolute truth. But it's not just creation that refutes relativism. It's also explanation. That we see in the Ten Commandments, the very commandments we've been studying themselves are grounded in absolutism, not relativism. They are in and of themselves absolute truth. Let's repeat them again together. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. In Exodus 20:16, number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In creation, by way of explanation in His law, and finally through the incarnation, God has proclaimed absolute truth. Not something that we have to guess at, but that which is real. 
What do you mean in the incarnation? In Jesus Christ himself, God fleshed out truth in a way that we could see even more vividly why Jesus is called, Revelation 3.14, the faithful and true witness. He's also called in John 15.1, the true vine. In John 14.6, the way, the truth, and the life. These are all titles of Jesus, titles of truth, titles of something absolute. Psalm 86.11 tells us, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Father in heaven, this morning as we get into this ninth commandment, as we consider this concept of bearing false witness, what it means, how it applies to us in our daily lives, and what we are to do with it, we ask this morning, Lord, that you would inscribe truth on our hearts. That you would not leave us in a gray area. That you would make it black and white very clear, understandable. That we would see, Lord, in you there is truth. And truth is as a rock that we can stand on. A stone that, that we can anchor to in a world of, of relativism. That Father is so loose, so out of control, so frightening at times. God, show us your truth and teach us to walk in it. The Holy Spirit, we ask that you teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some have taken commandment number nine and they've simplified it. They've just said, it's no lying, shall not lie. But that's not what it says. It differs from the previous three and then it specifically covers more ground. It's not just no lying. Listen again. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And this morning we have a couple of questions to ask to understand this commandment. What is a false witness and what does it have to do with my neighbor? So first question, what is exactly a false witness? I'm going to give you a sentence today that you can kind of write. I'll give it to you piece by piece and write it out. And this sentence I believe is an excellent um, statement of what a false witness is. But you need to understand before we get to it that bearing false witness is not limited to lying. It's not what this commandment is about. It's not just thou shalt not lie. It's you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And from the biblical viewpoint, and listen to this closely, bearing false witness means literally twisting the truth. Twisting the truth. Not telling an out and out lie, but taking the truth and slightly altering it. That is bearing false witness. It uses truth, massages the meaning, it finesses the facts. Bearing false witness implies the information means something other than what it actually does. It's making statements like, well that depends on what your definition of the word is, is. For you who follow politics, it's playing word games with cunning and trickery. It's all designed, the bearing false witness, it's designed to get around the truth and not actually deal with the truth without someone understanding that's what's going on. False witness. This was such a serious business in early legal courts that oftentimes what they would do when a witness came forward to bear witness against somebody, especially when it was in cases of capital punishment, the witness was also the executioner. That way, if you bore false witness against someone and you then executed them for whatever crime it is you bore false witness against them, then you would be culpable, guilty of murder. 
That's how serious God is about this. Well, how might that change testimony in our courts today? If we just knew that if I bore false witness against somebody, that whatever their punishment was would become my punishment if I got up on the witness stand and lied or altered the truth or changed my perception of what the truth really is. Now again, we're going to work through this, this sentence. A definition of bearing false witness. But this is interesting to me. While there are many examples in the scripture of lying, there is only one example in all the Bible actually played out in human behavior of someone bearing false witness. It's in the book of Matthew. If you'd like to flip there, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 and verse 57. Matthew 26, verse 57. Jesus has just been arrested. The perfect one of God, the Lamb who came into the world to save the world, is now arrested and dragged before the high priest Caiaphas and the Jewish ruling council. It says in verse 57 of Matthew 26, Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony, false witness against Jesus, so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward. Watch this. And they said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is it these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silence. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell me, that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Did you see it? Bearing false witness. Two witnesses came forward and they gave testimony. False testimony for the purpose of condemning Jesus. But what they said was true. What these two false witnesses said was absolutely true. They quoted Jesus directly. Listen to this. John chapter 2 verse 18. Jesus is in the temple. He's driven out the money changers. And the Jews come up to him and they confront him and they said to him, John 2.18, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What did the false witnesses say? This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it up in three days. You see how they slightly changed it, slightly altered it. And barely did anything to it. What Jesus was saying in John 2.20 tells us, the Jews said to him, It took 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. These two false witnesses who quoted Jesus had the right information. They had the right information. And here's the beginning of your sentence. A false witness bears true information with a twisted implication. A false witness bears true information. The information may be very well true and accurate and right, except that they imply it, they twist it slightly to imply something else. The entire case that was built against Jesus was built by twisting the truth, not by telling a lie. They took the truth and altered it, and in so doing, condemned Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 63, going back. 
The high priest said, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you're the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robe and said, He is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered, He deserves death. And all Jesus did was tell the truth. But in the mind of the high priest, that truth was twisted. A false witness bears true information with a twisted implication. Truth is not what you make it, my friends. Truth is what it is. But right information with the wrong implications, that's a false witness. Why? Because going on in your sentence, not only does a false witness bear true information with a twisted implication, but a false witness also has selfish motivation. Selfish motivation. Now what could these men, these false witnesses in Jesus' trial have to gain by twisting the truth of his words? I don't know exactly. We know Judas got a payoff for betraying Jesus. He got some cash money out of it. And it's likely these guys got their wallets lined as well. But we know they got something. Maybe it was just about notoriety. Maybe it was just about standing before the Jewish leaders. Maybe they were vying for some kind of a position. We don't know for sure. But we do know that when a person bears false witness against a neighbor... There is always something in it for them. When we, in our life, twist the truth slightly to change the implication, there's always something in it for us. There's always, I'm going to get out of trouble if I just change the truth just a little bit. I can make that person look worse and end up making myself look better if I will just alter the truth slightly. And that's what a false witness does. It has a selfish motivation. Listen to this. Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 16. Solomon says the following, he says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yet seven which are an abomination to him. Six things he hates, seven that are an abomination. That, that's a Hebrew way of saying, I'm going to tell you seven things, and the seventh thing is the worst, but all six lead up to the seventh, and here we go. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies... And all of this for one purpose, number seven, one who spreads strife among brothers. One whose purpose is to stir the pot, to make the balance a little off, to cause division, to pull people from one direction to another. Oftentimes it's just so they can personally swoop in and make it all better and be seen as better. Selfish motivation of a false witness undermines my neighbor while benefiting me. Usually it makes me look better. But listen, there's another aspect of this. A false witness bears true information with twisted implication, has selfish motivation, but also has a satanic inspiration. And I want you to really understand this point. Every lie, every slight twisting of the truth, all false witness has a direct to Satan. It is demonic. Even the slightest, you know what we call the little white lies, those little things we say just to kind of keep ourselves from getting out of trouble, they all have satanic inspiration. Listen to Jesus' scathing but true description of Satan's character, John 8:44. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. 
That's Satan. So my friends, we need to check our hearts against twisting the truth for personal gain, no matter how insignificant it may seem, because it can only be inspired by the devil. Now, some don't really believe there's a devil. Oh, sure, there may be a dark side of the force, but not really a person called Satan. And the Bible is absolutely clear. If you believe in Jesus, guess what? You have already chosen to believe in the devil because Jesus himself says there is a devil and describes him as the father of lies. And all lies, all false witness, comes from a satanic inspiration. Now this is not something to take lightly. And I want to hit it hard up front. We're going to get to something that sounds really good and very encouraging in a moment. But we have to hit it hard up front because there's one more aspect to this sentence, to this definition of bearing false witness. It bears true information with a twisted implication. has selfish motivation and satanic inspiration, but folks, it leads to eternal condemnation. Proverbs 19, verse 5, tells us a false witness will not go unpunished. He who tells lies will not escape. He who tells lies will perish. Proverbs 21, verse 28, a false witness will perish, but the man who listens to the truth will speak forever. And Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, tells us that for the cowardly, the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The consequences of even twisting the truth are real and are severe, according to Scripture. By the way, something that's absolutely amazing about the father of lies and the way that he works... Satan first inspires a false witness and then he accuses you of it. He first tells you to do it and then he is the first one to stand up and try and bring to light what you just did. To point it out, to accuse you, to say, look, oh, I can't believe you just did this. Hey, listen, if you'll just twist this a little bit, it'll go great for you. Yeah, okay, I'll do it. And the moment I do, Satan's going, hey, 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 you just did what he just did. He is called the accuser of the brethren. What does he have to benefit by this? What is it that Satan is up to? What is it he doing here? If he can accuse you and me, think about this. If he can accuse you and me before the Lord, then maybe he can get out of an eternal punishment that he knows he's facing. But Satan can say to, to, to God, how can you send me to eternal condemnation? Look at what they've done. How is what they've done any worse than what I've done? How can you condemn me? And so he has become the accuser, the Bible says, of the brethren. But here's some encouraging news. That two-faced, backstabbing, lying accuser missed something. While he was so busy accusing the brethren, Jesus became our advocate. Turning your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, toward the end of the Bible. And listen to what John has to say about Jesus and his response to these accusations that fly from the father of lies. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation. There's a big word. It means the satisfaction. He is the satisfaction for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. The one who says, I have come to know Him and does not keep His commandments, is a liar. 
and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been truly perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Listen, by this we know that we are Christians. By this we know that we actually walk in in Christ and in truth. Verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Well, how did Jesus walk? Jesus walked in the absolute light. Look over in John chapter 1 John chapter 1. One, uh, one chapter back, verse 5. This is the message we heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now back to the second commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What is God doing here? We've talked about this. In the first half of the commandments, God is trying to teach us to love him. He's saying, don't have any other gods before me. No other idols. Remember the Sabbath day. He's laying these things out before us. And God is saying, I want you to learn to love me. But in the second half of the commandments, he says, oh, and by the way, I want you to love each other. Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 Jesus said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind this is the great and foremost commandment and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depends the whole law and the prophets it all comes down to that loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself interesting that God is so intimately concerned with how I love my neighbor with how I treat other people with the way that I look at and view and act toward others. But why? Obviously, he's the God of love and truth. But is there something more behind this idea of loving my neighbor? And I want you to think this through. All of that to get to this point. Remember, Jesus is called the faithful and true witness. And the command is that we not bear false witness against our neighbor. In John 18, 37... Jesus is before Pilate. And he's there by, by the word of all these false witnesses and truth twisters. And Pilate says to him, So, you're a king? And Jesus responds, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world. To testify to the truth. And listen, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who's of the truth hears me. And Pilate Tragically, like so many in the world, said, What is truth? What is truth? And Jesus could have said, You're looking at it. Because Jesus is the truth. But we know he said, Everyone who is of truth hears my voice. And this is the point. Jesus calls you and I to be witnesses of the truth. Not to be those who bear false witness, but those who bear true witness. And what does that really mean? What kind of impact does that have on my neighbors? Proverbs 14.25 says, A truthful witness saves lives. A truthful witness saves lives. God wants to call you and I to be people who live lives that save lives. In our treatment of other people. In the words that we speak. Whether we're at home or at work. Out playing around, just doing different things. Whatever we're doing, Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses. Witnesses of the truth. Life savers. 
We need to take a step beyond the ninth commandment that says, you shall not bear false witness. It's more than just saying no. It's learning to say yes actively. It's not just about saying no to gossip, or no to slander, or no to twisting the truth, or no to speculation, or no to accusations. Being a truthful witness is not just living in the shall nots, it's living in the shalls. How does that work? Well, listen to Paul, 2 Corinthians 1.17. He said, Do I purpose according to the flesh, so that with me there will be yes, yes and no, and no all at the same time? He's talking about being wishy-washy. And he says, But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no, relative Our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Sylvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in Him. For as many are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore also through Him is our amen, our yes, to the glory of God through us. And so if I am in Christ, my life is not no to Christ, that would be bearing false witness. It's not yes and no, which is bearing no witness. My life is yes, which is bearing witness to the truth. Living in such a way that people see the truth of Jesus in my life, in my behavior, in my treatment, even of my neighbor. And if I am bearing false witness against my neighbor, how in the world can I be a true witness of Jesus Christ? We talk about witnessing a lot in the church. We're going to go out and do some witnessing. We're going to get together. We're going to meet at the barn. A bunch of us are going to go down to Seattle on a Friday night. We're going to do some witnessing on the streets. And I wonder when we plan these witnessing fests, if God doesn't look down at us and say, why don't you just witness all the time? Instead of having a special program for it, how about you just go to work this morning and let people see me? How about when you go home after church this afternoon, you let your husband or your wife see Jesus in you? How about kids, you start walking around the house in such a way, doing things in such a way, that when you do it, your parents will freak out and see Jesus. I love it the other day. i got to set up my, my daughter here. I, I, I love you so much, Hannah, and this is actually a good thing, and I'm probably going to owe some money after this. But I walked into the house, and truth is a big deal in our house. I walked into the house, and Hannah was downstairs, and she had been watching our new puppy, and I, I walked into the living room, and I looked, and... There's something on the coffee table there, and I moved a little candle over, and it kind of crunched, and I looked closer, and I'm like, That's, that looks like sugar. And I swept it all off into my hand. It was cinnamon sugar. How did cinnamon sugar get on the coffee table when no one is allowed to eat in the living room? Hannah? <laughs> and Hannah and her friend Sarah came running upstairs. Yeah, Dad, what's up? I said, I just need to ask you, and I'm just, I'm bracing myself for, for the, the twisting of the truth. Well, I, I know it was Sarah, or something, you know. I'm getting ready, as so many parents do, and I say, Hannah, how did cinnamon sugar get on the coffee table in the living room? She goes, oh, I ate there. And in that moment, rather than go, how many times have I told you not? I was like, whoop, <laughs> That's bearing witness to the truth. You want to learn how to not tell lies, how to not bear false witness? You bear true witness. 
You don't just say no to lies. You say yes to Jesus. Yes to the truth. If I walk in the darkness of twisted implications, how can I walk in the light of the testimony of Jesus? So what do I do? Three things, and these are very quick. You might want to jot them down. Number one, simplify. Simplify the words that come out of your mouth. Jesus said in Matthew 5.37, Let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Don't play word games. Just tell the truth. Just live the truth. Simplify. Secondly, purify. Purify. We need a little help getting the truth into us so that the truth can come out of us. Here's how that works. Psalm 119.29, the psalmist writes, Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your laws. He understood something. An amazing principle. If I want to drive the lies and the false witness out, I need to get the word in. And the more I get the word into me, the more what comes out of my mouth is pure. The more I've got God's word in my heart, the more that's what's going to come out. Simplify, purify, and number three and most important, testify. I want to challenge you to live lives testifying Jesus before those around you. Living, choosing day by day, moment by moment, and it is a decision you make when you wake up. Today I will live for Jesus. Today what people are going to see in me is going to be Jesus. Testify. Matthew chapter 10 verse 32, Jesus said, Therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Confess Jesus in your words, in your actions, in your behavior, toward your neighbor in the way you show love. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, You shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth, even all the way out to North Whidbey Island. The remotest part of the earth. Fidalgo Island. The northern corner of our country, folks. We are in this tiny little place. I thought it was interesting. Um, yesterday I met, I met Emmett. And that's the same, right? Jennifer? Okay. Jennifer, her boyfriend, Emmett, was here visiting, and I was talking to him, and, and he is now living in Vegas. And so is Jennifer. They're, they're living in Las Vegas. And he came back, and I said, so how's it, how is it to come home? And he goes, it's so small. It's so tiny. But I hadn't realized how tiny Anacortes is. Jennifer's going, yeah. These are tiny little places. And you know, when, I, when we first started the bridge, I was really asking God quite a bit, really, here? And what about L.A.? A lot of people there. A lot of need. they got to get saved before it goes all into the ocean. <laughs> what about Seattle? A lot of people there, Jesus. A lot of need. What about up in Vancouver? Let's cross the border and do some work there. A lot of people. A lot of need. But for some reason, God said, Nope, North Whitby Island. He wouldn't even let us go to Oak Harbor. There's a lot of people there. Now, I want you to plant out in the middle of nowhere in this barn. Great. And it has been such a ride because God says, Just be my witnesses, even in the remotest parts of the earth. 
Even in those places where nobody else sees what's going on. Even in the remotest part of your life. When it's just you and maybe one other person. Where there's no church around. Where you haven't just finished worship. Where everything's not feeling all spiritual. But you're just with one person. And maybe you're in conflict with that one person. And God says, bear true witness. Be my witness. Even in the remotest part of the earth. Father, that is, that is one of the toughest things in living the Christian life. Lord, we can come here on a Sunday and worship you and have a great time doing it. And we can open up the Bible and read and study and, and seek to know your word. And it's exciting, Father, and it's fun. And it's amazing to see all the nuggets of truth that are, that are buried in the scriptures to dig them up. And it's wonderful to be with other believers, especially in times of prayer and encouragement, fellowship, when we're just laughing. Father, it's hard to bear witness in the remote places. It's so easy to bear false witness. It comes upon us, it sneaks up on us, Satan whispers it, enters it into our thinking. And Father, I just want to ask this morning, and I'm just thinking this as we're praying, I wonder, Lord, if the reason we don't bear false witness is because we're trying to cover ourselves. Kind of cover our tracks, cover our trail, cover our mistakes. Would you, Father, remind us that we are covered by the blood of Christ? And we don't need any other covering. Give us by your Holy Spirit the ability to live lives that are, as we sang this morning, like a love song to you. Caring for others more than ourselves. Bearing true witness to our neighbors as opposed to false witness against them. And Father, take your law, this perfect law, your commandments, and package in grace, write them on our hearts that we may live for you and seek to please you and be bearers of the truth in this world. I pray in Jesus' name.